0: welcome one and all. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Republic Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. The network's website, republicbroadcasting.org. Today is Saturday, June 28th, 2014. This show is live every Saturday evening from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. East Coast time. That's 9 p.m. to midnight Central time. We have a great show lined up for you here tonight. We're going to be continuing the Cosmic Abandonment presentation. What I would call my sort of thesis uh, regarding the connection between interference theory of human origins and And the current psychological and social conditions that humanity continues to endure. So that's coming up on tonight's broadcast. In the third hour of the show, I'll be taking your calls. So let me give the call-in number right here at the top of the show for those who might want to get in the caller queue. The call-in number to join us on What on Earth is Happening is 800-313-9443. Once again, the call-in number to join us 800-313-9443 800-313-9443 I want to apologize. Uh, last week uh, the show uh, wasn't able to go live. Uh, the network had some technical difficulties. Uh, I was standing by with a partial show uh, if they had it resolved early but they uh, ended up um, fixing things at about a little bit before 1 a.m. East Coast time so there wasn't really any point to going on the air just uh, for the last few minutes. So. Um, uh, you know, it happens every once in a while, not a big deal. I just wanted people to know there was nothing wrong with me. Um, uh, it was uh, just some technical glitches that needed to be worked out, and they have, obviously. So we're here live tonight. So um, I do have one big event announcement. Uh, my next uh, all day seminar will be coming up in Manchester, Connecticut on October 4th, Saturday, October 4th, 2014. I will be giving a live all day seminar called Demystifying the Occult. This will be taking place. Saturday, October 4th, 2014, from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m., an all-day seminar. The doors will open at 9. Um, I believe uh, Arthur Capozzi is also going to be be giving another preliminary presentation. He and and his brother Chris set my last seminar up in Connecticut when I presented my natural law seminar, and Arthur is the main organizer for uh, this seminar as well, and he will be giving a preliminary presentation shortly after 9 a.m. after the doors open. Um, then we'll, I'll do a morning session, we'll have a lunch break, I'll do an afternoon session, and then we'll have a extended question and answer session as well. So it's going to be a information-packed day. This will be taking place at the Manchester Hist- History Center. Uh, it's the home of the Manchester Historical Society. That's at 175 Pine Street in Manchester, Connecticut. Uh, Here's a brief description of the seminar. Mark Passio, the no-nonsense teacher of streetwise spirituality, will take his guests on a journey of exploration, examining the world of the occult and its symbols. What exactly is the occult? Why should you know about it? What kind of knowledge comprises the occult? Who possesses such knowledge and how do they use it? How is occultism different from mysticism or what many people have called mystical practices? How can the secret language of symbolism communicate? Uh, I'm sorry, what can the secret language of symbolism communicate and how is symbolism being used in our everyday lives? These are the topics I'm going to explore and again, probably in the second session of the seminar, I'm going to use the tarot as sort of a case study in occult symbolism and we'll be exploring the major arcana of the tarot. Advanced tickets for this all-day seminar, a $25 donation uh you'll be able to get a hold of Art Capozzi I will have his contact information uh in the in this week I actually have the flyer completed it's a, a fr- first draft of the flyer I have not been able to get it to Art yet uh for approval so when he approves it uh I'll be running it on the website and of course here on the radio show so um the at the door tickets only a $30 uh donation uh for uh Uh, tickets in person at the door. So Demystifying the Occult All-Day Seminar, Saturday, October 4th, 2014. I hope a lot of people can make it. If you're in or going to be in the uh, Connecticut area or really anywhere on the northeast coast of the United States, try to make it out to this seminar. It will be very informative and you'll meet a lot of like-minded individuals. So that's my uh, main event announcement. I want to let people know there is a support donation button on the whatonearthishappening.com website. If you feel you've gained value from the information that I have presented uh, here on this radio show and shared on my website, uh, you could feel free to make a voluntary donation to help support my my continued work. Uh, There is a button on the left-hand side of the whatonearthishappening.com page to do just that. So, I want to direct everyone's attention to uh, the radio show page of the What on Earth is Happening.com site. Uh, all, as always, when I do a live show, if there are images associated with the show, they are posted there uh, in numerical link format, uh, like a slideshow presentation, underneath the live player for the broadcast. So, you could follow along with the uh, topics and ideas that I present here on the show with slides. So um this is a, an extended version of the Cosmic Abandonment presentation which I gave originally back in December of 2013 and uh, I'm giving it in an extended format here on the show and I've I uh, already uh, did a couple of weeks uh in relation to this presentation And we ended up on slide number 34 is where we left off. We were essentially talking about all of the ancient uh, traditions and the ancient um, cultures that talked about non-human entities' involvement with the human species. And they described them in many, many different ways. They had um, many different ways to describe in their own language what they were witnessing. And again, these people were witnessing technologies that they didn't understand. They were witnessing beings that they didn't understand and could not relate to, that were so far in advance of intellect to them that they, you know, looked at them as supernatural entities. And we talked about all the different cultures that uh, discussed these beings in their written histories and, and their accounts. From the Sumerians, the Akkadians, uh, the Babylonians, um, uh, the people of the ancient Middle East, um, uh, biblical lands, um, the people of the Indus Valley traditions. Uh, the they, these stories were in the Vedas. Uh, they were in the uh, uh, other ancient Indus Valley tradition books like the Srimad Bhagavatam and the Mahabharata, uh, the Ramayanas. They they were talked about by the African tribes such as the uh, Zulu and the, Doga, uh, the, the Dogon people. Uh, the Norse uh, poetry like the Eddas talked about them. Even into the Mesoamerican regions and uh, into uh, South America. You know, you have the Mayan Popol Vuh. You have the people of the Inca tradition. And they all talked about gods that had come from the sky. God Gods that had come from outer space In many of these different languages you didn't have a you had different words uh to describe sky from the deep sky when they were saying gods from the sky in their in all of their languages they always meant the deep sky which really translates in modern language as outer space from beyond earth orbit that's where they had in all of these accounts talked about that these beings came from And they called them many different things. They referred to them as supernatural entities because they thought that they were literally gods. And whenever I talk about the word gods here, please realize it's lowercase, okay? We're not talking about the god of creation here. We're talking about um, beings that are referred to as gods, but gods with a small g most certainly. So... um, They also referred to these beings as giants because of their large stature in size compared to a normal human being. Um, They called them watchers in many different accounts. Um, You know, these beings who literally watched over humanity and were um, in many ways keepers of human beings because, really, that's what they were. If we're to be honest about it, they were our keepers. They were our creators and our enslavers, as we're going to get to in this story that I call the story of the ancient human past. Welcome back everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host Mark Passio. My website whatonearthishappening.com. We're continuing with the Cosmic Abandonment presentation in its extended format. We are on slide number 34 and we're talking about how essentially um, these uh, ancient human beings were trying to communicate in their own language what they were witnessing that they didn't understand. And so they had many different names for these beings who had come to our planet in the ancient past. They called them gods, supernatural entities, giants, watchers. Okay, And uh, as this slide uh, says, the Sumerians called them Anunnaki. And that word in their language literally means those who came to the earth from the heavens, but not heavens as in just the sky, as in deep space, from from literally off world. And uh, they arrived on our planet in our ancient past. And there's many different dates that researchers have speculated, and uh, alternative historians and alternative uh, archaeologists have talked about uh, going back hundreds of thousands of years Probably the most agreed upon time frame is somewhere between 400,000 years ago to about 250,000 years ago. Uh, I would probably favor the latter. Uh, I'm sorry, I would probably favor the former date there, about 400,000 years ago. Um, and this this extended story that I'm going to be telling, this generalized story about human origins and, and the events that took place in our ancient past, is uh, put together from different Sumerian and Akkadian accounts, and what we're really talking about here is precursors to the biblical tradition that went into much greater depth and detail uh regarding the accounts of what they had witnessed. and then in the biblical texts, these accounts get watered down, a lot of detail is left out, and uh you know you don't get the you don't get the real underlying gist of the story about what happened that's very fragmented by that point. So that's why I'm essentially going to use some of the Sumerian accounts as the reference material to tell the outline story, all right, and then we'll go into detail later and we'll look at actual parts of these accounts and we'll look at um, detailed aspects of other accounts, the Indus Valley traditions, the Norse myths, etc., you know, uh, even Greek mythology, um, and we'll go into detail regarding this. But again, this presentation is intended to be a general outline and starter material to get people uh, to understand the general idea of what happened and then to kind of whet their appetite to do further research on their own. And I'll be talking about uh, other researchers as we go along that you could um, you know, read into their work or watch their videos or DVDs, etc., So, um, let's continue with this generalized account. Um, these beings came here for resources. And again, it's often debated what the resources they came here for were. A lot of researchers say it was gold and that gold has some kind of properties that we still don't really understand why they wanted it. Some people have speculated that it could somehow help to repair their dying atmosphere. And it was going to reflect a certain amount of their stars' sunlight into space. I don't know whether that's true or not. Okay, I tend to not really think that it was just about trying to put gold into their atmosphere, but some researchers have speculated that. Uh, I think gold has properties that again, human beings don't really understand what it is. It's some sort of an eternal substance. It would seem that, you know, really no no matter what you do to it, it can't be destroyed. Um, you know, it, it could lay at the bottom of an ocean for hundreds of thousands of years, never tarnish, never degrade. Uh, it's not, it's pretty much unlike almost any other substance on the earth in that regard. Um, so I do think that they came here for gold, but I don't think it's for just mundane purposes for what they were doing with the gold. Maybe they used it in that ancillary capacity as well, but uh, I think they w- were th- that this that gold, the so-called intrinsic value of gold which it does not have to to human beings in a non-technological society, okay? Now to, in today's world it has intrinsic value. In computing applications, in technological applications, of course, Uh, gold as a precious metal is certainly used in computing technology, but to a people who are just, you know, living, you know, in a non-technological culture on the land, gold is not going to be anything of with intrinsic value. And the people who say it just has intrinsic value inherently uh, are under mind control when it comes to money. That these are believers that in the religion of money, and think that you could either eat, shelter yourself, or clothe yourself with gold, because that's what intrinsic value means. Okay, uh, if you can't eat it, if you can't shelter yourself with it, if you can't um, defend yourself with it in some capacity, it doesn't have any intrinsic value. Okay, for survival purposes on the earth, so. The, these beings knew that there was more than meets the eye, literally, when it came to gold, and I do think that they were here for that, uh, and because the accounts specifically talk about the mining expeditions that they put human beings to work in, uh, and you know, they they wouldn't have done that, they wouldn't have gone through such enormous trouble to mine, smelt, and, and refine gold if it didn't have some kind of intrinsic value to them. And I don't think it was just for monetary reasons. I don't think they used any money. I don't think they had a monetary system. I think this had some kind of a property when you ingested it or when you uh, performed some kind of chemical operations upon it that enhanced intelligence, enhanced creativity, enhanced health, etc. And we can get into all of that. We could talk about monoatomic gold, etc. We could talk about... The usage of the pharaohs in egypt of regarding gold specifically monoatomic powder gold but uh, that'll be for another discussion um but i want to continue with this general outline their mission was led the mission of these beings to come here for resources and and uh uh, procure these resources to bring back to their world was led by two brothers. Now, again, the names aren't as important. These are the names that are used in the Sumerian tradition. But I don't even even specifically like to look personally necessarily look at these as just single beings. When you talk about these beings, I almost look at it as factions of these whole beings, of the the this group of beings. Okay? So one brother was named Enki and one was named Enlil, according to the Sumerian texts. And they were royalty from where they came from because the planet where they came from had a tradition of kingship and a hierarchy of rulership. They were the sons of the king of their home world, which his name was Anu, A-N-U. When I go forward talking about this topic, in a lot of ways, I look at enki as a faction of these beings there's the enki faction of the um extraterrestrials or non-human entities if you will the anunnaki and then there's the enlil faction okay there are beings that had aligned themselves with a specific kind of worldview when it came to the earth and what they were doing here Okay, so, and you'll understand what I mean by that as we go deeper into the story, but for now, let's simply look at them as two brothers, they were royalty where they came from, and they were the sons of the king, so you could look at them as princes. Um, Moving on to slide number 35 and continuing this account, they came to the earth approximately 400,000 years ago. And they started to procure these resources that they came here for, namely gold. Now, if anybody knows anything at all about gold mining, it's incredibly intense work. Okay? You have to go deep into the bowels of the earth, it's treacherous cond- conditions, it's difficult work. All right? Uh, very, very dangerous as well. We'll continue this on the other side. Stay with us. <laughs> Welcome back everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. Let's continue with our general outline of the story of the ancient human past and how uh, the interference theory of human origins fits in with uh, this story and really is responsible for the creation of the current human condition as we will get to. So these beings came here about 400,000 years ago, and they put a lot of their own people to work in gold mines. Uh, The primary place for the excavations was was in the gold-rich veins uh, in um, southeastern Africa, and this... Is a region of the world which they personally referred to as the Abzu, A B Z U, or in some translations, A B S U, depending on how you're going to transliterate it out of the Sumerian. So, uh, Abzu literally in Sumerian means the deep, uh, a very deep place. And that would certainly describe minds. Okay, and you know, people want to insist that this meant spiritual deep. Or, you know, the realm of the subconscious or, you know, some kind of abyss or dark, deep, you know, black place. And you could debate about the intricacies of how that word is going to be translated in its context. But if you actually read the accounts and the story of what happened, I think it's pretty obvious that the Absu meant minds, literally the bowels of the earth underneath the ground literally okay so that's the way that I'm going to translate it and talk about it as we move forward and again we can get into specifics on this later but after realizing that you know after coming here on this mission that they did not have literally not they did not have enough manual laborers to do this work all right you know if you traveled somehow in interstellar distances whether even if it's not interstellar even if it's from another area outside of uh, your the planetary system, maybe even in the same solar system in a uh, you know um, extended uh, orbit as many people will uh, speculate that their planet was um, if you're coming here and you're traveling in craft or even if you're using some kind of very highly advanced technology regarding you know space um, to essentially travel from one planetary system to another you're going to have to take a lot of resources with you you're going to have to take a lot of people with you if you're going to conduct a mining expedition it's no small task you're going to have to set up workshops bases on the planet where you're going okay you might even want to do the the smelting and refining where you're at instead of bringing the raw material with you so essentially uh they didn't have enough people and they recognized that it was going to be very difficult to bring the amount of people that they needed to this planet to do what they wanted to do. Uh, so the the leaders ultimately came up with a plan. And again, we have to understand a little bit about the dynamic of their leadership, so-called. Um, Enlil is the chief leader. He was the mission commander, you could say. And Enki is his second in command. Okay, You could say that's his primary commander on this mission even though Enki is really like kind of like the older brother of the two, all right? And they're half-brothers, uh, as is put forward in the story. Um, and how it works is there are specific um, su- succession rights to the throne that has to do with um, the, uh, uh, how the, the uh, father essentially um, married, and it has to do with uh, maternal... Lines. Okay, so essentially Enlil is going to inherit the throne when Anu passes. Okay, so he's really in position for leadership. And Enki is really, you know, kind of like what you might call the wiser of the two brothers. He's the one who, you know, most people would go to for leadership, counseling, advice, etc., And Enlil really kind of always sort of resented him for that and didn't really uh, want to trust in his judgment, wanted to kind of do things his own way and to prove kind of that he's in the better position for leadership because when he does go back to his home planet, especially if this uh, away mission, you could call it, is successful and it provides what his people need, he's going to go and assume the role of leadership where they come from. So... Um, that having been said, the older of these two half-brothers, Enki, comes up with a plan. He's essentially advocating that they don't have enough people, but there are enough native species on this planet that are still developing. Uh, yet they show a lot of promise when it comes to being able to manipulate things as far as, you know, with their hands. They could walk upright right on, on two legs so they're bi—they're a bipedal species, and we would refer to these beings as hominoids. Okay, beings that were ape-like uh, in their appearance and were essentially bipedal, and probably covered with with fur, and um, you know, living in the wild, um, living in harmony with nature, with natural systems, and essentially uh, on their own. Evolutionary progression, okay, their own course of evolutionary progression. And Enki recognizes this and he says, well, these beings that are here have the ability to manipulate objects. They, you know, have hands, okay. Um, They walk upright on two legs. They're not as intelligent as we would need them to be to do the manual labor that we need done, but we could essentially modify them. We are master geneticists. We've come to the level of technological development that we understand how to do gene splicing and recombinations. and we can make chimera species, we could splice DNA from one being into another and you know come up with uh, different characteristics of our cho- choosing. And uh, you know, you might say that these beings were at, at a level be, it, more advanced than the technology that we're even at today, certainly. Okay, so his plan was we're going to make a hybrid species. All right, we're going to genetically modify this existing hominid species that is indigenous to this planet where they had come, which is Earth. And we're going to use the modified species that we create to do the work that we need done. We're going to put them to work in the mines as kind of like chattel. Okay, you know, like we would use cattle, uh, to, or, or, uh, mules or, uh, horses, you know, here as humans do today to, to do different types of, uh, laborious tasks for them. Okay. A beast of burden, you might call it, right? They are going to make a hybrid species and use them as a beast of burden. Okay. So first of all, just even looking at this on its face, it's immoral, obviously. I mean, for anybody who, you know just looks at this from a perspective of they don't care about the natural evolutionary development of these species they don't care about their freedom they don't care about what course nature has intended for them no we're just going to do what we want and you know modify them to suit our purposes so right right off the bat it's immoral and you know you hear a lot of apologists for this enki faction of beings or this being enki uh, because of how he viewed his creation. And right off the bat, I just want to say, I don't see any good or side to these beings at all. Okay. Um, they Everything they did was immoral on its face. Okay. There is no good guy when it comes to this. What, just because Enki later looked at the humans that he had made, the pathetic creatures that he had created, that were a slave species to his people and looked at them with pity and thought that they were so horrible that maybe he could start to teach them and bring them up out of their total ignorance and barbarity, you know, that somehow that makes him the good guy for taking pity on us like that when he was the one responsible for putting us into that condition to begin with, you know, that doesn't make him good. Uh, You know, and you could say, okay, people change and they can repent of their old ways and the deed was already done, you know, so I can understand that aspect of it, but, you know, don't paint him as, you know, holier than thou, as some people do, you know, when it comes to, I guess when it comes to looking at their, the alternative, the Enlil faction or, you know, Enlil as a being, uh, he does seem good next to him, but I'm trying to put put this back to square one and say from the very beginning, how these being, beings came here and, and behave was immoral on its face. And it shouldn't be looked at it as any in any other way, really, for people who understand natural law. Um, so I, I'm going to summarize the essential plan that he laid out in the next slide. Host Mark Passio. My website, whatonEarthisHappening.com. We were on slide number 36, and I was about to go through uh, a summary of this plan that this one brother Enki had come up with. So, the plan is summarized in this following exchange between Enki and his brother Enlil. Enki says, The beings that we need are already present, they already exist. They live in the Absu, and walk erect on two legs. My son Ninghizida has tested their DNA and it is similar to ours. We can combine our DNA with theirs to create primitive workers who are intelligent enough to understand our commands and handle our tools. They will do the mining for us and relief will come to our people. So again, you hear in his tone, total unconcern for what he's about to do. It's just not even a second thought. This is what we need. This will bring relief to our people. What's the difference? What will happen, you know, in the aftermath if we create these beings? Okay. It's playing God, plain and simple. And his brother replies, Enlil replies, Slavery was abolished long ago on our planet. Tools are our slaves, not other beings. You are suggesting creating a new species which did not previously exist. Such creative power belongs to God alone. God with a capital G. Okay? Meaning the creator of the universe. So Enlil here is the one who is speak, trying to speak sense to his brother. And, and I, I would suggest this isn't just because he wants to be the one in the leadership position and make and calling the shots. He literally is averse to this idea. He has an avulsion to it because he recognizes that it's playing God. Okay, And I'm not saying that that makes him such a great guy either, just because he understands the truth about this plan and was opposed to it from the beginning because he did terrible things in the future. So, like I said, I don't have any kind of tremendous respect for any of these beings and what they did. What they did was an abomination against all of creation. And, you know, we're dealing with the aftermath of it. But moving on to slide number 37, this uh, exchange, this um, uh, dialogue between these two brothers continues on. Enki says back to Enlil, he says, they won't be our slaves. They'll be our helpers. Oh, see, he's rationalizing it already. They're not going to be slaves. They're just helpers. (laughs) We will not be creating a new species. We'll just be taking one that already exists and giving them more ability by making them more in our image. See see we're just modifying them. We're we're giving them more more better traits, better characteristics. We're going to make them a little bit more like us because we're so wonderful. Don't you know? You know? I mean, it's unbelievable where this guy's head was at. So continuing, he says this can be achieved with Only slight changes to their DNA. Only slight changes, slight modifications we're going to make. Right. His brother replies, This is not to my liking, and it is forbidden by our mission plan. Our purpose was to obtain gold, not to play God. So he's trying to tell Enki from the beginning, One, we're playing God, and that's not morally right. And two, first of all, our actual mission plan that we were sent here with uh, to, uh, to do specific tasks. This isn't in the mission plan. This is forbidden by by the mission plan to mess with the other species living here. So the Anunnaki uh, on Earth, you know, couldn't come to an agreement regarding whether to go ahead with this plan or not, and so they sent the matter back to their home planet to be voted upon. And it was put before a council of elders on their home world. And they voted on it, and they decided that they liked Enki's plan to make a hybrid species and use it as a beast of burden. And so they voted for that, and they told them, go ahead with whatever genetic laboratories you need to set up. We'll send the resources and get to work on creating this hybrid species so that you could do the work you need to do and get out of there. All right, moving on to slide number 38. So they started beginning to, and again, I'm sorry, on slide 36 and 37, you see these uh, depictions of these gods uh, as the Sumerians, Akkadians, Babylonians rendered them in some of their reliefs and their their uh, clay. Clay tablet depictions and in their drawings. So um, on the uh, left hand side, you have a depiction of um, Enki. He was always depicted as the god of the waters. Uh, and on the right hand side, I believe uh, you have uh, in the uh, Akkadian and Babylonian tradition a god known as Sargon, who uh, was a king. But many people think that that imagery was taken after the Enlil uh, being uh, from a much older times and that Enlo looked very similar to him and that's uh, the imagery that a lot of uh, f- future human or hybrid kings uh, cultivated. They tried to look as much like the gods as possible and this is a theme that we'll see repeated later on. Uh, just briefly moving back to slide 35, I just wanted to briefly talk about the image there. Um, uh, you, you see again Enki standing on this um, like kind of a mount with a tree growing out of it and uh, there's other Anunnaki beings, always depicted with these conical caps. Okay, and um, you'll you'll see another being in the mine. He has like sort of a pick in his hand, and you know there's fumes rising up out of out of that deep pit. And um, that was the Absu. This is a depiction of the realm that they called the Absu, which is a mine. And Enki was always depicted as God of the waters, okay? Whenever you see a flowing flowing water trail with fish around it, that's Enki, okay? Uh, he was considered the Lord of the earth and the waters. And this is very important going forward because the control system is based on water. It's based on admiralty law. It's based on the law of the seas, okay? These gods are venerated as coming from the sea, And we'll talk about why that may be. Because I think that they may still have bases on this planet that are under the sea. That's why they're not anywhere where human beings are at. If there are any of them remaining here. Again, I talk about in this presentation, to a great extent, the vast majority of them are gone. And, you know, the evidence that they're gone is that you don't see them around, you know. uh, We don't see them present in our society. They're obviously very hidden if any of them are still here, and I believe the ones that are really uh, still covertly controlling things from behind the scenes are have bases deep, deep, deep in the earth and deep underneath the sea, and we'll we'll get to that and we'll speculate about that later. And again, like I said, this whole section of this broadcast uh, of uh, and the the uh, last couple of radio shows that I've done, the future many shows that I will do are going to contain speculation. Uh, like I said, I've joked that we should call the show, you know, for the time being what on earth may, may very well have happened on earth. Okay. So speculation is going to be part of what we do to maintain an open mind and to look at the possibilities here. All right. So, but this relief clearly shows what they talked about as the ABSU on slide 35 here. And, um, you know, you see these beings, uh, basically conducting some sort of a, uh, uh, ceremony uh, near one of the openings to these mines. So, uh, moving forward again now, where we're on slide 38, um, they began going to work to try to create these genetic hybrids, these uh, a chimera species, if you will, crossbreed between themselves and the indigenous hominid creatures that were already living here on the earth, and certainly living in. Uh, on the continent of Africa and in the ancient Middle Eastern region. Probably living all over the planet, but uh, again, um, certainly uh, there were concentrations of them in southern Africa. So whenever you you see clay vessels, when they depict clay vessels, and there's pottery, okay, and there's waters being poured and there's, uh, you know, kilns being fired etc they're not making pottery in these depictions these are the Sumerians representations of their genetic laboratories and we'll get back to that on the other side of the break. we don't need no thought control no dark sarcasm Classroom. Teacher, leave them kids alone. Hey, teacher, leave them kids alone. Welcome back, everyone. We're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We're into the second hour of tonight's broadcast. I'm giving my extended version of my Cosmic Abandonment presentation, which we'll be continuing to go over over the next several weeks. It's all about the connection between interference theory of human origins, as I call it, uh, to the current human condition. And we were on slide number 38. These slides can be found with the podcast. This will be podcast number 160. Uh, or you can uh, find them uh, if you're listening live on the what on earth is happening dot com radio show tab so uh, on slide thirty eight i'm essentially talking about how these uh, beings went through many different attempts to hybridize the existing hominid species with their own genetic material, and a lot of these attempts resulted in absolute monstrosities and chimera cross-species genetic hybrids that were just absolute, you know, abominations, you know, they were things that should not be. And these beings were not as quote unquote advanced as some people might like to think or give them credit as being. One advanced beings would not do something like this to begin with, truly advanced beings in consciousness. They, these, this is the result of what happens when a species becomes technologically advanced, develops technological prowess and has a lot of intellect, but is divorced from the sacred feminine, intuitive, creative, compassionate aspect of their, their themselves. And therefore, uh, essentially is, you know, constantly existing in that modality of service to self. And that clearly in their discussions, that's all that they were concerned about, many of them, okay? Not all, okay, but many of them. Kind of like we are today, because as they say, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So continuing with this generalized account, after many failed attempts... The Anunnaki successfully created a hybrid species by fertilizing the ovum of an earth female with the sperm from an Anunnaki male and inserting the fertilized egg into the womb of one of the Anunnaki females. So, this was literally an example of um, artificial insemination, okay, using um, the egg of a female and the sperm of one of the Anunnaki. Males. So when they put this into the womb of a a female Anunnaki, there was a live birth. It was a male hybrid, and they called this being Adamu. A D A M U. Adamu. And again, you'll see the biblical similarity to the word Adam, okay, the first man. But what Adamu meant in the Sumerian language, the beings that were recounting this uh this these histories is one who is like the earth's clay or the earth's ground, the earth's, you know, uh one who is like the earth, literally, the earth's substance. So it's a child of the earth, in other words. Alright? That's what Adamu meant. And they set about creating a hybrid female. A female, because what their goal was is to make beings that could procreate on their own and that they wouldn't have to use their own species to carry these beings to term. Um, so they created a female hybrid so that the their new workers and again this worker species was known as the the whole species the, their name for it was lulu l-u-l-u and in the sumerian language that means primitive worker you know people will say you know where did the sumerian culture come from it seems like it's the first culture first written language etc well more likely than not it came from these beings they set it up You know, and the human beings that inherited it, inherited it from them. That's why it's a fully formed culture appearing seemingly out of nowhere on the face of the earth. So, you know, that's why many of their words and their language is coming from the way that these beings spoke, more likely than not. So they called this female hybrid, the female version of their hybrid species, Tiamat. And this was... Supposedly, uh, veneration or you know, a respect toward uh, an ancient planet from our solar system that was partially destroyed in a celestial collision with their planet millions of years before, and it had formed um, the Earth and the Moon as well. That's as the, their cosmology goes. So. They took the new prototype workers to a place called Eden, and Eden is in the Middle East in what we would call Iraq, uh, what we call Iraq now. And they were to be bred there in mass numbers, and they were going to breed them there in the wilderness of Eden. Uh, again, you see the biblical similarity. All right, We have the male uh, hybrid species, slave worker. That's being created, and they called him Adamu, very similar to Adam, the biblical first man. And then they put their new prototype genetically crossbred workers in a wilderness known as an untouched wilderness area okay free of their basis free of their technology that they called eden e d i n very similar to the biblical garden or untouched wilderness area known as eden e d e n okay same phonetics involved just the changing of a vowel and that's this is no coincidence because the stories of the biblical from the biblical texts are a recounting with much less detail okay with a whole lot of details stripped and taken out of these Sumerian accounts so they were going to breed them there in mass numbers by letting them proc- procreate but the breeding program didn't work out as expected because when they genetically made these first two, um, you know, models, I guess you could say, these, uh, these Mark uh, prototype workers, um, the females were unable to bear children when they were inseminated by the males of this worker species. And of course, we're talking about early Mark one humanity, you could call it, okay? Uh, you could call this the prototype one for the human slave species. Moving on to slide number thirty nine the While these beings were doing all these genetic experiments and uh you know experimentation by the way, on slide thirty eight I just want to mention you see this um, uh, up on the upper right hand corner. Before we move on to the next slide, uh, the image there—it's showing you uh, Anunnaki beings ushering in one of these chimera species, these this genetic abomination. Before Enki, again Enki, the water god, seated on the throne as the royalty, and his his genetic laboratory workers are bringing him one of the species that they had just created, you know, on some kind of a leash controlling him, you know, and guiding him in with a noose, uh, you know, a leash around the neck. And obviously, this was one of the species that clearly did not work out and was a total, you know, abomination thing that should not be type of a uh, chimera. And um, they, again, these accounts talk about many of these going through. They talk about all the different ways that they were defective, the kind of genetic defects that they had. Okay, being born without limbs, being born, you know, uh, without organs that were vital to life, etc. So we'll pick this up on the other side of the break as we are telling the ancient story of human origins here on What on Earth is Happening. Ladies and gentlemen, stay with us. You know, day destroys a night Night divides a day Try to run, try to hide Break on, to Break on through to the other side Break on through to the other side Break on to the other side yeah. Welcome back, everyone. Let's continue with slide number 39 in the Cosmic Abandonment Extended Presentation. The, um, while this genetic work was being conducted, as these ancient accounts tell the tale, the workers in the mines um, that were, were populated by the uh, off-world beings, were their, their patience was running very thin. They were running out of patience and they were on the brink of mutiny against their own species because they had been put to work in treacherous conditions for long extended periods of time on an alien planet. That they didn't want to be on, that the conditions were hostile to them, you know, and that they were put in, you know, basically brutal working conditions that they were not used to, and they wanted relief from those conditions, and meanwhile, they're telling them, well, you have to continue to do this work and mine until we have this problem under wraps that we could get these beings into full production, okay, So we could pop out enough of them where they could relieve you of your duties. And Enki came up with another part of the plan. He wanted to have his son, who was the main geneticist, his name was Ninghezida, sequence the entire genome of the new Lulu worker species uh, of the Adamu, the male variant, and the Tiamat, the female variant to determine exactly what was wrong with their genetics uh, as to why they couldn't procreate. So, again, you could look at this as a tweaking of the genetic coding or the genetic hybridization that needed to be done because as they existed in their current form, as they had made them initially, they would not be able to procreate, procreate on their own, so they needed some other gene spliced in with their genome from the Anunnaki in order to be able to procreate on their own. So the DNA of the two hybrid species was completely sequenced, their genome, and it was compared with the genome of the Anunnaki. They discovered that the hybrids had 22 pairs, a total of 22 pairs of chromosomes, but they lacked two chromosomes necessary to be able to procreate on their own. So what they did is they took a pair of chromosomes from themselves, one pair of chromosomes from the Anunnaki, and spliced it into the chromosome from Adamu and Tiamat, the Lulu worker species, the Mark I human species. And that created a total of one new pair of chromosomes for a total of 23 pairs And we'll see that there is evidence for this splicing in the actual human genome. If we look at the human chromosomes, we can see where the splicing took place. And we'll look at that later. Moving on to slide number 40. This genetic manipulation is also described in the biblical accounts. Uh, I'm sorry, it's described in the following uh, Sumerian account. Um, Ning Hazida caused a deep sleep to descend upon Enki, Ninma, Adamu, and Tiamat. Ninma is another geneticist of these beings that are, is stepping into the actual experiment and going to provide DNA. He extracted DNA, and again this is referring to Ning Hazita, the the male um, master geneticist of these beings. He extracted DNA from the rib of Enki and inserted it into the rib of Adamu. He then extracted DNA from the rib of Ninma and inserted it into the rib of Tiamat. Now, again, there's crossover with biblical um, tale, the biblical tale of um, Eve coming from the rib of Adam. Um, People have speculated that perhaps they used uh, the marrow from the rib for a genetic sample maybe because of certain types of cells that are more undifferentiated. I'm not really sure. However, um, literally in these texts, they specifically say that it was extracted from the rib. So maybe that's where the biblical accounts came from. Maybe it was just convenient for them to take an extraction from the rib as opposed to any other part of the body or any organ. So, He then awakened the four of them, of these beings, uh, Enki, Ninma, Adamu, and Tiamat, and said to Enki, two chromosomes have been added to their DNA. They are now capable of procreating on their own. So a pair of chromosomes was was added for a total of 23 pairs, which we have now. And from that point on, they were capable of um, reproducing without you know, having to have uh, any artificial insemination done on the part of the Anunnaki. The new hybrids were returned to the orchards of the Eden, where they became aware of their nakedness and their ability to procreate. Now, once again, this is the story of um, Adam and Eve in the garden, where they become aware that they are they don't have clothes, which is really nakedness is. Is an allegory. It's about that they are inadequate in in comparison to the Anunnaki. They they don't have their abilities. They don't have their knowledge. They don't have their understanding. Okay, and their ability to procreate. Okay, and again, this could be about the knowledge of genetics. Okay, maybe the forbidden fruit is not just. Some people have suggested it's knowledge of sexual procreation. Maybe that's not what he was forbidding them to understand. The god of the Eden okay again the this isn't the God of creation that's being talked about in the Old Testament books, and once again, you could just just see that right off the bat in the name. The name is Elohim given in the biblical text referring to quote unquote God. Well, Elohim isn't even a singular word, you know if the if the ancient uh Hebraic people who wrote the Bible were supposedly monotheistic, okay. Uh why would they have the why would they set the name for God as a plural word? Ohim is like adding an S to an English word to make it plural in Hebrew. You know, so um it's a, the word El means God, okay, and then Ohim means pluralize that. And it, it's also a feminine plural, okay, which again most people Or most religions look at it as as God as some kind of a male patriarchal deity. When in fact the actual word for God in the Bible, Elohim, is feminine plural in Hebrew. And no one even attempts to explain that. No one seems to attempt to even explain that. Because they weren't talking about the God of creation. When they're talking about Elohim, they're talking about the gods, literally. These beings that were referred to as gods or supernatural beings or giants. So uh, they were, you know, this story about their nakedness and the the forbidden fruit. You know, it's about their ability to procreate, but more than being just about sexual knowledge, I think it's about genetic knowledge. That's what was forbidden unto them. You know, they couldn't understand. They were forbidden from understanding any knowledge about their true origins, how they were were created, their creation. So, Tiamat made aprons of leaves for them to wear so that they could be distinguished from the other animals. And I guess by other animals, they meant the other hominids that were still walking in that region, is what I expect that to mean. So, uh, again, this is the story of Eve making clothing for for herself and Adam in the biblical account in Genesis. It's It's told just in... More elaborate detail, more specifics in these ancient Sumerian texts. So let's move on to slide number 41 now. And we'll pick that up on the other side because there's the break music. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. Don't go anywhere, we'll be right back. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We're continuing with the story of the ancient origins of humanity. It's what I call interference theory. Because our natural evolutionary progression was interfered with by beings that had no right to do such a thing. And we were talking about how uh, they finally got us to a point where we were able to procreate on our own by splicing in a pair of their chromosomes into our hybridized genome. And um, we're moving on to slide number 41 now, uh, where Enlil learns about the um, further genetic hybridization of these beings. ...by giving them more of the Anunnaki genes. So uh, Enlil was furious with Enki. And he was furious with the entire plan... uh, ...as he was from the very beginning... ...because he didn't want to create a slave species. And he says to his brother... uh, uh, ...Enlil says to Enki... ...this whole plan was not to my liking... I was against the idea of playing God. You told me that all we needed to do was to modify these beings slightly in order to create the workers we needed. But now they have been given our genetics so that they will be able to procreate on their own and have our long lifespan. Because these beings lived for, in many cases, tens of thousands of years as the Sumerian accounts suggest, and as many other accounts like the Indus Valley tradition accounts suggest. Tens of thousands of years. That's why they were considered gods. They were considered immortal. Because if a human lifespan was 120 years at the very maximum, and probably a lot less than that because of the conditions that human beings were enduring... Um. These the lifespan of these beings seemed like forever. It seemed like they were immortal because they lived through, you know, you know, generations upon generations of of human beings and their families, you know, never seeing these beings die. But die they do because they are not immortal. And I want to be very clear on that. These beings are not immortal. They're not gods. Okay? They're not supernatural entities. They are flesh and blood entities. And they, you know, some people, and that's my take on it, some people insist that these are fallen angelic beings. I mean, I don't come down on that side of the fence when it comes to this research. I think that these are beings that are very much like us, except they have a whole lot more knowledge. And, you know, in many ways, they're not any more moral than we are, you know? So, and again, that's just my take. I'm open-minded to all other takes on these beings as from being other dimensional, you know, angelic slash demonic. I'm not saying I completely rule that out. I'm just saying, if, I, if I'm if i pressed and you want me to tell you what I think their nature is, it's mortal. It's living in our space-time continuum with a whole lot more capabilities and a whole lot more technological prowess than we have, understanding a lot more about how the laws of nature function, and clearly not really understanding too much about natural law, or at least understanding... Enough about it that they don't, maybe don't do things like this to their own kind anymore, but they're still willing to do it to beings that they consider lesser, quote-unquote, than they are. Just like we do that to animals, okay? So again, like father, like son, like mother, like son. You know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We inherit the traits that our parents pass down to us and the behaviors that they pass down to us. So... Um, Ning the geneticist of this, uh, group of beings said to Enlil, they were given the ability to procreate on their own, but they were not given the chromosome that gives us our long lifespan. That was not added to their genome. So he's telling them, you don't have to worry about these beings being immortal like we are so that they'll gain the kind of knowledge that we have over a single lifespan, over a single uh, human life, okay? They're only going to live to 120 years old at the very, very maximum. That's, that's what's encoded into their genome, that the lifespan ends at that point. And Enki says to them, what choice did we have to end our mission in failure or to do what was necessary and by giving them the ability to procreate, let our new workers undertake the labor for us. So again, all he's concerned about is the completion of their mission. You know, uh, some people say, oh, they had their back against the wall because their species survival was in jeopardy and they needed this for the protection of their planet. They needed the resources here for the protection of their planet. There's a million different excuses made. You know, it's always excuses though, when people do things like this, that's all it ever is, is justifications. So, Enlil replied to them, you know, well, then let them be expelled from the Eden to the Absu where they are needed. And again, this is uh, in alignment with the biblical expulsion out of Eden. God is expelling these beings out of Eden and basically saying, now go and do your hard labor in the mines of Absu. Okay. Um and again it's it's not just about disobeying the just God and therefore being put out of you know a paradise into a hell, they were literally taking them out of a place that was paradisical and untouched by technology by their technology and as the the nature nature on this planet intended it to be, which was the conditions that they were being reared in and then they were taken to a horrific environment to labor endlessly sometimes unto death for these beings that you know had infinitely more knowledge about how the universe worked and who came here simply to put these beings through you know uh, long periods of work as beasts of burden literally so There's two sides to this biblical expulsion from Eden. You could look at it allegorically, you could look at it literally. And I think, you know, there is a literal side to this. And then the allegorical tale of, if you don't live according to natural law, the laws of the actual creator, yeah, you will be expelled into a hell world of your own making, you know? But I don't think that's what we're really talking about here. It's a way of interpreting it. Um... So moving on to slide number 42, where, oh, and by the way, uh, let's just briefly look at the image on slide 41. Again, you see this kiln or urn of some type with a tree growing out of it. And, you know, I neglected to really look at some of the imagery on the last couple slides. Let's move back to slide 39 and look at the imagery because it's very important and it, it sets up the imagery on slide 41, which I want to talk about. On slide thirty-nine, you see a, uh, a bas relief of uh, some Anunnaki uh, gods of the Sumerians, kings of the Sumerians, and they're all pointing to a tree. Okay, and the tree is expanded. Okay, and uh, there there's a, a winged I- image or symbol over the tree. All right, and. What this depicts is the genetics laboratory. It depicts the geneticists working with the life essence. They called it life essence and they meant DNA. They were basically sequencing the genome, expanding the DNA, the base pairs. And that's what you're seeing here. The ladder of DNA or the spiral of DNA is the tree. They, that's their imagery for it, okay? We look at it as a double helix spiral. They looked at it as a tree when the base pairs were expanded. Okay, we're or, or, or broken apart. And that's what you're seeing in the middle there. Okay, they called it the tree of life. And then the ancient Kabbalistic tradition from where the ancient Hebraic traditions come out of, you know, they have a tradition regarding the tree of life as a system of correspondences for the, the self. So um, this is depicting these so-called gods, okay, performing genetic experimentation. All right. And um, their, their symbol is that winged disc symbol above. That was the symbol for the Anunnaki by the Sumerians. Whenever the Sumerians were referring to these beings, they often used that winged disc uh, as their symbol. So, we'll pick this up on the other side of this break. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to What on Earth Is Happening. Stay with us. Uh-huh. Let's climb i to the Welcome back everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host Mark Passio. We're continuing with the ancient fragmented account of human origins as connected with the visitation and interference of beings from elsewhere. A difficult pill for many people to swallow when it comes to the research about what led to the current human condition. But absolutely vital and necessary to understand. And we're going through this generalized account. And I think what I'm going to do for tonight's show, I know I said I was going to take calls in the third hour. I think I'm going to just keep going with this story and hopefully try to get through it and uh, uh, forego calls for at least this one show. And uh, we could pick up calls on uh, next week's show. I hope people aren't too disappointed about that. But I think that this material is... Uh, important enough that I want to uh try to uh continue to present as much of it as possible at least for this week. Okay? So let's continue with uh slide number 44 we were on to. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh slide number um 42. So after the expulsion from Eden, um I, actually I was preparing to go back to 41 before the break. So 41 uh, shows again this tree, uh, the image on uh, 41. You see Enki seated there on his throne overseeing the operation. Uh, And one of his geneticists again is um, uh, putting waters into this fount uh, in which the tree is planted. And this represents the vessels that they use to do Genetic experimentation, what we might call test tubes today. So, um, the thing he's pouring in there is genetic material. The tree represents DNA. It's the tree of life, hence, the codes that make up uh, all of life, you know, and uh, code for different behaviors and characteristics and traits. So, um, now that I've br- briefly outline some of the symbolism, you'll, you'll see it all over when you look at these beings, uh, when you look at the uh, traditions that talked about these beings and tried to um, preserve uh, accountings of the histories that they had seen and undergone uh, in these ancient cultures. The, the tree of life as a genetic symbol is constantly recurrent. So uh, let's move on to slide number 42, Uh, This new hybridized species of workers that they had made when they started putting them to work in the mines, in the ABSU, proved very difficult to control. They seemed to be too intelligent and wanted to be free. Okay, They didn't like being enslaved. I, I would suggest most species don't like being enslaved. It seems humanity... Yeah, currently is the exception to that rule. It seems we enjoy our enslavement all too much. But, um, you know, perhaps covert enslavement is really enjoyed by us. But, you know, overt enslavement we kind of recognize, at least. And this was overt enslavement. As depicted here on this, uh, you know, uh, etching. Uh, I believe this is a like a... Uh, bas-relief that is then uh, has like a a rubbing done of it or maybe just a uh, drawn translation of that but essentially this uh, bas-relief or stele here um, is depicting the Anunnaki and their new slave species and how they were controlling them and putting them to work in the mines. You know you could see that they're clothed they're larger than other beings. They have human beings on leashes. They're stepping on a human being who isn't complying. And the other beings, the human beings are naked. The other human beings naked are being ushered into one of the entrances of the absu or the mines. Okay, it was all there. It's all depicted. And people will still deny this was going on. And these weren't just kings of their people who were putting their own people into the, into the mines you know, they're always depicted as giants, physical giants, not just giants metaphorically, you know, that, oh, these are great men of stature, you know, of social stature. No, they were depicting them as larger than other beings. And some of these beings, they're, they're said that they are upwards of 30 feet tall, some of the original purebred Anunnaki Okay, and some of them you know you hear accountings of uh some hybrids of them being you know nine ten twelve feet tall um but they one thing or another happened to result in this condition, and I personally am i'll tell you what what uh dynamic I personally fall onto believing. Uh, ...in a moment, but let me just explain these two scenarios. Uh, People think that these beings were too difficult to control... ...either because the Anunnaki had messed up in their genetic hybridization experiment... ...and given them a little bit too much of their own DNA... ...and therefore that created some innate intelligence in them... ...and they were able to see what was happening... ...instead of just being blind order followers, blind task followers... Okay, Some other researchers believe that they retained in the mixture, in the admixture that they were working with to hybridize these beings when they were doing the genetic splicing and experimentation, that they retained too much of the native earth DNA, the native earth being hominid DNA remained in the hybrid species. Now, I think that is the case. It isn't the infusion of Anunnaki DNA. It's our native Earth DNA that was remaining in us because that was the unpolluted DNA that was still on a natural course of evolving in harmony with this planet. And I believe that these beings left too much of that in the human um, hybrid admixture of genetic material that they were working with. And that's what allowed um, these beings to see that they were being enslaved and, you know, rebelled against it. And I think that's why they want to epigenetically constantly try to wean this essence out of us through all the different pollutants that they put into the atmosphere, into the water, into the food. They don't want this natural force arising in our genetic material. Okay, because I think the beings that were here originally wanted to be free, they were developing in in harmony with nature, and they would have developed into something majestic and um, absolutely beautiful if they were left to their own devices and left according to their natural progression, as nature always does, you know if it's left on. Un- diluted and unpolluted. And that's like I said at some point the will also has to take over and we have a choice whether we want to progress in line with uh the will of creation and move forward in consciousness. That's always a choice, but I think there is an innate quality in the earth hominid beings that was powerful and special and that's what was too much of that was left in this admixture when they were creating these beings according to my belief and my research okay so what they did is they eventually did other modifications to the earthlings DNA to make them more easily controllable this further genetic modification resulted in large portions of disconnected and non-coding DNA in the human genome so I feel that the original Mark I species of humanity that we're talking about that had re- even received this slight upgrade to allow them to be able to procreate was still of advanced intelligence and still had a lot of their DNA working. Okay, What we now call junk DNA, what science, modern science laughingly calls junk DNA, Okay, I feel that was still coding in the Mark I variant of DNA. Humanity, or what the Anunnaki referred to as the Lulu species, L-U-L-U, meaning primitive workers in their language. The, these, these the, This large amount of DNA that science calls junk DNA isn't junk at all. It's simply non-coding. Okay, So it's somehow been disconnected from doing what it was originally intended to do. And we have no idea what capabilities that codes for. We have no idea what kind of innate intelligence that codes for, you know, this process of further degrading humanity. There's a cold silence. nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Welcome back everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. We're into the third and final hour of tonight's broadcast. Continuing with the Cosmic Abandonment presentation in, ex- in its extended format here tonight. We're on slide number 42 talking about once the these other beings recognized that the hybrid race that they created as a so-called primitive worker was too difficult to control, they did another genetic modification upon them to disconnect large portions of their DNA. And this was kind of like a, almost like a death knell for humanity because you know we were physically fighting back against these beings while they were in our presence and didn't want to go along with their enslavement of us and when they did this uh further modification um it disconnected large portions of formerly coding dna and it also resulted in um Thousands and thousands of genetic defects in our genome. The human genome contains at least 4,000 genetic defects that aren't seen in other species on Earth. More than just about any other species on Earth. I think more than any other species on Earth, I believe. And I feel that primary psychopathy is one of these defects. Okay, I think when they did this further dumbing down, you might call it, this um, uh, disconnecting of genetic material that should code for certain types of innate intelligence. They created not only a lot of the physical defects that humanity experiences in the form of certain genetic illnesses. Uh, you could look at the types of cancers that we uh that we get the uh, types of uh, uh, central nervous system diseases, things like Alzheimer's, things like diabetes, autoimmune uh, diseases, um, you know, Parkinson's disease, Huntington's disease, different types of genetic, um, uh, mental retardation conditions, and physical retardation conditions. Uh, but even not just taking into account the physical uh, genetic defects that result in physical diseased conditions that humanity undergoes. You can look at the mental uh, health diseases that humanity endures. And the first one that we need to take a look at is primary psychopathy, which we've talked about extensively here on this radio show in past shows. So again, people don't ever want to discuss where did primary psychopathy come from? Because, again, it it really only gives you about three choices. Well, either God did it, the creator of the universe gave humanity a small portion uh, of the total amount of human beings on this planet, primary psychopathy, so that they could torment the rest of the species. It just, God likes to make things like this in you know, the beings that he creates just to endlessly torment them so that they have to live on a, on a planet with interspecies predators preying upon their own kind. I don't think the God of creation does that personally. I mean, uh, no God of creation that I consider, uh, worth his salt, so to speak, is going to do things like that. But there are, there are idiots out there that think that that's what God produces. That's what, Nature. That's what creation. That's what the universe. That's what the underlying force of intelligence and everything produces. It produces completely screwed up stuff. Okay, to to me, that's a total poisoned, absolutely ridiculous worldview. That you know, is is just it. It tells me already the condition that you are in. As far as I'm concerned, if, you, if people think that, that that's what God does, that, that the, the, the being that creates everything and creates, you know, proportion and harmony and flow and order, okay, and things working the way that they should be working in balance, in nature, if you think it creates things like primary psychopathy, I feel sorry for you. I mean, you know, to me, nature doesn't do those things. I'm not saying that's just because I want to look on the bright side of things. Do you see God creating this type of distortion in nature? I don't. I mean, my worldview doesn't look at that God just does things like that. or Whatever force of creation you want to talk about just does. And it doesn't happen just randomly. Nature, if you want to even look at it as some sort of a random process, doesn't create things like that. And once again, people will say, well, this is some sort of an advantageous condition, psychopathy. No, it isn't. It's a degradation. It's a degrading. It's, it's, turning into a, it's turning a human being into an animal. That's what psychopathy is. It's taking the qualities out of a human being that make it a human and turning it into an absolute animal beast living amongst in the field like other animals. And that's not what a human being is. That's a degradation of a human being. That's something infinitely less than what a human being actually is. You know, the other options are, well, humanity did this to ourselves somehow. We genetically modified modified ourselves somehow. Or, if we didn't do it, then some other intelligent being did it. And that's what I'm suggesting here, is that's why primary psychopathy exists. Because another species tampered to such an extent with our genome, for reasons of their own, that they created a slew of defects in the code that nature originally provided for us that created all these different genetic conditions, these genetic degradations and defects in, in our genome, including primary psychopathy. And again, that's part of what we're going to explore throughout this presentation. So let's move on to slide number 43. The biblical accounts describe this further degradation of early human beings. And this is from Genesis chapter 11. Quote, The whole earth was of one language and one speech. And the children of men said, Let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And the Lord Came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Nothing which they can imagine will be impossible for them to do soon. Let us go down and confound their language, that they may not understand each other's speech. And from that time forward, The Lord scattered them upon the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. Okay, so let's take this one step at a time in breaking this down. The whole earth was of one language and one speech. Well, what does that mean? It means that there were pockets of people throughout the world that knew what was going on. Or maybe even the majority of people knew what was going on. Hey, this slavery was out in the open. It was was not covert, it was overt, it wasn't done through mind control, it was done through physical control by these beings and their technology which they had brought to this planet which was unlike anything these ancient humans had ever seen well, they were a new species they hadn't seen anything, they had no frame of reference to understand what was happening to them, but they were able to at least see that they weren't free, that they were being controlled by, being controlled by these beings like cattle out in the open So they were of one speech. They were all on the same page is what that means. They didn't want this to continue. We'll pick this up on the other side. Stay with us. what on earth is happening i'm your host mark pasillo my website what on earth is we were on slide number 43 and i was breaking down some of the account in the biblical story of genesis chapter 11 that describes the uh, further degradation of early human beings that we already talked about kind of in detail from the sumerian accounts and uh uh, when it says that the whole earth was of one language and speech, it means that the human beings were united on the same page regarding their enslavement and how they were opposed to it. And when they said, let us build a city and a towers whose top may reach unto under, under the heavens, that could mean many things. Some researchers suggest that they were actually building technology that was similar to the Anunnaki's technology, and this was some sort of a launching uh, site uh, for you know, uh, craft that could get into Earth orbit uh, if they were, you know, we're talking about thousands of years duration here. We're not talking about this that happened over a period of weeks. All right. These beings, some of these beings, after they came out and after they started procreating on their own, they the Anunnaki could not contain them to certain areas you know it was it was literally this is why the elite so-called so quote unquote are obsessed with controlling population as the population grows the these you know the beings you're trying to control become difficult more and more difficult to control because you're only so many and if their population grows out of hand you know you're going to have to reel that in in order to keep them under control so over thousands of years these beings were developing technology on their own and in many ways you know they were uh, be, before this genetic uh, further genetic degradation happened they were becoming perhaps as intelligent as the anunnaki you know and they had built cities and they had built civilizations and you know they had technology at that point and essentially these beings were saying this has to go they, they can't continue to do this because we're not going to maintain our control over them and we're not going to have the resources that we need, okay? And they said, we have to do something about this. So perhaps they reeled many of them in, wiped a lot of them out, wiped a lot of their cities out, and the beings that they wanted to keep using for their purposes, they did this genetic manipulation to, and that's the story of the uh, Tower of Babel. And how God essentially, uh, you know, said, let us go down. Again, so this is never explained by anybody in official capacity in religion. Why would God, okay, who wants to, who's saying the people are of one, they have one language and they're, they're, you know, building something that is like what, what we're capable of, capable of building, nothing which they can imagine which will be impossible for them to do soon. Okay? They'll be able to do anything. So let us go down and confuse their language. Okay. Well, who's us and what is their language? I'm going to confound their language. First of all, if God is saying that, why doesn't he say, I will go down? No, let us go down. And go down. In other words, go down to the earth from our craft in orbit. Let us do that. The gods, quote unquote, small g. It's not the God of creation saying, why would the God of creation have to go down from up? He would just appear. He would just be there. He would just do it, period. If he's an omnipotent being. These aren't omnipotent beings. They're not god as in the God of creation. Let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand each other's speech. And that's not, I don't think that that's literal, like we're going to give them a bunch of different languages so they can't understand what each other are saying. It's saying, I'm going to go down and confuse the language that they are made of, the DNA language, the the genetic code that they are made of that comprises their characteristics, their traits, you know, their capabilities, so that they may not understand each other's speech, so that they'll be too dumbed down and stupid to even recognize what's going on around them and get on the same page like they are now. And from that time forward, the Lord scattered them upon the face of the earth, and they stopped building the city. In other words, they stopped evolving, and their slavery was basically uh, put into uh, hardcore effect because of these this dumbing down of the genetic you know material that ancient humanity underwent and i would say that this probably happened somewhere around 200,000 years ago maybe a little bit less than that you know uh, and again you're talking about such large swaths of time it's difficult to know i think these beings have been here at least a half a billion years probably for, be, between 500 and 400,000 years ago and they probably made us shortly after their arrival to the planet, and this modification was probably done between 100 and 200,000 years ago, if I'm just giving some general estimates. Because, again, these are fragmentary um, accounts, and I don't think we could know for absolute certainty or pinpoint an exact date. So, a lot of it is speculation, and a lot of it is fragmented. But I'm just giving general estimates So let's move on to slide number 44. The Anunnaki continued their efforts to control their new slave species and to put them to work in the most efficient ways possible. They greatly differed on the best ways to do this, so a deeper divide formed between the commanding brothers. And again, this is what I personally call the Enki and Enlil factions. It wasn't just the individual brothers calling all the shots. It was, it was the factions who aligned themselves with these beings. So, you know, when we're talking about Enki or Enlil, we could even just look at them as factions of these Anunnaki beings, if for lack of a better term to call them. Fact, factions of the farmers, okay, who decided on different ways to go about doing their farming and keep the human herd under control, okay? So the Enlil faction okay, or if you want to look at it as a single being Fine Enlil, who hated the plan from its inception, preferred to rule the humans with an iron fist, which he felt would successfully end the mission as soon as possible, allowing him to return to the Anunnaki homeworld and assume the throne. So he played the position of a god, all right? He didn't want to interact with them as equals or as, you know, beings on the same footing at all he you know said i'm your god i'm one of your creators all right you you are going to listen to me or it's going to be you know the 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 whip and chain for you D- didn't want to put up with any dissent he was a totalitarian when it came to the slave species because he hated them from the very beginning he hated the whole plan so he said let's just we made them that's an abomination in its own right We then further degraded them. That's an additional abomination. All of this is immoral. immoral. All of this was forbidden by our original mission, plan, specifications. I didn't want to be involved in any of this, so what I'm going to do is try to get this done as efficiently and as quickly as possible, rule them with an iron fist, and Enlil also wanted to destroy humanity after he was done using them. Now again, this is where this idea in current humanity of him as the total bad guy comes from. But again, he painted his brother as the devil to his own faction of people. You know? And Enki was considered the devil and the serpent, which we'll get into. So we're coming up to another break. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Stay with us, we'll be right back. listening to what on earth is happening here on rbn i'm your host mark passio my website what on earth is happening.com let's continue with the uh, cosmic abandonment slideshow we were on slide number 44 and i was explaining how the different faction of these beings that came here in the ancient past had different approaches for controlling humanity in the early days of their involvement with them the enlil faction uh, led by Enlil himself, who hated the whole plan of hybridizing another species to create a worker race, uh, and looked at that as slavery, and didn't want his brother to go ahead with it, but was overruled by the home Homeworld uh, Council. Wanted to rule these beings with an iron fist as their god, as their literal creator, so uh, that he could get the mission done as quickly and effectively as possible and get out of there and go home and receive the accolades for a, a job uh, done well and, and, you know, successfully accomplished and then take up, uh, you know, the throne uh, on his home world because he was the prince who was getting going to inherit the uh, Anunnaki throne when his uh, father Anu had uh, finished his reign. So uh, Enki, his brother, his half-brother, on the other hand, looked at the human beings as his own creation, like a father might look at his children. His method of control was indirect, okay? And again, I still call it a method of control. There are people who say, oh no, he just wanted the humans to be free. I don't look at it like that personally, okay? And a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, you're just down on all of them and you know, you think all these extraterrestrials are bad people or bad beings. It's not. That's not necessarily the case. What I'm saying is that these beings were there to serve their own interests and to perform a mission. And ultimately, when it comes down to it, they were going to do whatever was required for them to do to control humanity to get that done. So here you're seeing a couple of different depictions of how these beings operated with their Slave species. On the left, it's a depiction of how Enlil may have interacted with the humans, you know, like a god seated on his throne and ruling with an iron fist and commanding them. You know, you see some of them coming out of the mines. Again, these entrances to these mines that were deep underground. I mean, again, it's it's all there in depictions. It's all there in ancient accounts. Um. And yeah, I mean, you just look at how littered with with mines ancient uh, Africa was, and, and I mean, just it's unbelievable. What would these ancient people have needed with mining and smelting gold? You know, there would have been no purpose for it, even before the, the humanity allegedly invented any monetary systems, which we didn't do. Again, as we'll see, they gave us monetary systems. Um. You know, there would be no reason to, to mine for gold. You know, it's an, an unimaginably painstaking process. And ancient peoples that weren't a technological civilization would have had no, no need for that. We um, look at Enki's method, okay? He, he, his method of control was indirect, he, he gave to the worker species different systems of belief including religions, governments, and monetary systems, in order to get them to comply willingly by allowing some of the humans to believe the notion that they were in control or that they were in a position of leadership or responsibility for the others. So this way you would set up a hierarchical chain of command you know, we, we i created a religion you're i'm the god you're my intercessor my intermediary i should say and then you're going to interact with these human beings on my behalf as priest this is the this is the new way we do things this is a religion and you have some power now so you're not a slave you know i'm i'm divinely as your god and creator appointing you in this position and you're going to interact with those who are below you And human beings love that because some of them could be quote-unquote free, and they could give the orders now. See, they're just all in a rush to just exchange positions with their enslavers. And nothing is different. Once again, same thing, same story. We're in the same situation today. People think it's all about just taking out the the so-called Illuminati, the so-called elite, you know, why? Because there aren't thousands of people that would be willing to trade places with them and are so immoral that they would do the same things that they were doing in a heartbeat. It isn't about changing the way all of us think. It isn't about taking down corrupt and immoral institutions that don't serve us. No, no, we need to leave those systems in place. And and somehow we're magically going to be free. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you keep believing that you can keep your hand in a pot of boiling water and not get burned, or nothing's going to happen to it. I can keep my hand directly over this fire for as long as I feel like it, and it'll be fine. You know, that's, that's the same thing. It's it's it just as ridiculous as saying something like that. So, Enki, people want to prop this being or this faction of beings up as somehow the enlighteners of humanity like illuminators and you know and it is true he started what you might call mystery school traditions he started um uh, attempting to teach humanity in their ways and give them different you know traditions and give them different uh, uh some technologies you know you see him here giving Humanity, something that seems to be some sort of a energy device or technology. Um, you know, he put positioned himself as the benevolent ruler, and this is just a all this is is a situation of good cop, bad cop. You know, so one one side looks like he's the good guy, and one side looks like, oh, that's the all, the bad alternative. You don't want him, so you might as well get on board with what this guy is doing. You know, that's all it was. It, it's again, Enki putting these systems of control, covert control into place in the form of religion, government, and money. The same things we're, we're battling against today. These institutions that allowed the these ancient beings that came from elsewhere to control this planet effectively and run it like an efficient farm without having to exercise total covert control over their slaves who did not want to be enslaved. And doing it this way ensured if you're controlling the mind that's epigenetically controlling the underlying DNA that you don't want cropping back up they were afraid of this innate human DNA that had capabilities probably that had capabilities that would have even outstripped theirs if allowed to its own devices and they don't want that, they don't want that occurring so they have to put all these mind control systems into place and these are the beings who invented the monetary system let me just make that absolutely abundantly clear human beings did not use money before these anunnaki factions gave them this system of belief called money so that they could interoperate with each other for goods and services as slaves on the land okay they were the one these anunnaki beings are the ones who actually invented the original monetary systems that humanity put into use and people never even talk about the real origins of money. You know, they want to talk about, oh, it's just some invention that was come up with during the Crusades, you know, and, and the Templars became the first international bankers, you know, it's, or, or goldsmiths, you know, that put gold on deposit because that's what people were using as money. Well, yeah, they were using gold as money. People never ask, well, where did that practice come from? You could talk about the origins of paper money and banks and fractional reserve lending until you're blue in the face. Where did the use of gold for money originally stem from? It was already in full swing at the time of the Sumerian civilization. So where did they get it from? It's because these beings valued gold so much because of their innate reasons for wanting it. They're, they're in the reasons for wanting it and their perceived... their. Intrinsic value, what they ascribed to gold as intrinsic value for reasons we don't even really fully understand and can only speculate about. So the Anunnaki beings, they valued gold intrinsically. And then they passed that value down to the human beings that they allowed to use a certain amount of that gold that was smelted and refined and pressed as coinage for their purposes, as a system of interaction. And then that creates a social strata. You know, th- this is what they were trying to do. They were trying to create social strata and hierarchy among these beings. So that they would be easier to control. And some of them would see themselves as, I'm a leader of these other people. You know today day destroys the night. Night divides a day. Try to run, try to hide, break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side. Yeah. Welcome back everyone. You're listening to What on Earth Is Happening here on Republic broadcast I'm your host, Mark here. Passio. My website, what on earth is happening This is the last segment for this evening's broadcast. We're going through the cosmic abandonment presentation. We were on slide number 45, where a new abomination in this story is about to unfold. Eventually, over time, the beings that came here, these Anunnaki, as the Sumerians called them, meaning those who came to the earth from the uh, wider cosmos, from the heavens, Began to take human females as sexual partners. Okay, so some of them um, actually directly interbred with human females. And offspring were born that were yet another hybrid species with more of these visitors, these Anunnaki's DNA in them. So some researchers referred to these new, this new species that was a, a second hybrid species that was literally created from actual sexual reproduction between Anunnaki males and human females as demigods because they weren't full Anunnaki beings. They were not full quote-unquote, gods, nor were they fully human. They were another cross-species uh, hybridization uh, created you know, by interbreeding between the Anunnaki and their slave species. So this interbreeding is described in the book of Genesis in the Bible, chapter 6. Quote, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth... And daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful. So they took wives of any of them which they chose. And the Lord said, again, this is now one of the commanding uh, factions, or the you know the commanders and and Enki. More likely than not, it is um, uh, Enki speaking in this regard. My spirit. Shall not always strive with man, for he is also mortal. Again, this is another reference that we're not talking about an immortal being or an actual God. He is also mortal, meaning I'm mortal and so is man, even though my lifespan is much, much, much longer than mankind's lifespan. Going back to the quote, He says, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he is also mortal, yet his days shall be no more than 120 years. Again, this is that limiting of the human lifespan that was encoded into the human hybrid uh, genetics. Because they didn't want them to have their extended lifespan by giving them the uh, gene that controlled that lifespan continuing with the quote, there were giants in the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men and bared children with them. The same, in other words, their offspring became the mighty men of old, the men of renown. And they are referring here to what is called the Nephilim. In English, it's N-E-P-H-I-L-I-M. That's transliterated from the Hebrew, which I believe is uh, Nun, Peh, Yod, Lamed, Yod, Mem. Okay, Nephilim in Hebrew. Um, and that comes from, that word Nephilim comes from the Hebrew word Nephal. Nephal or Nun, pe Lamed literally means to fall or to descend. Okay? So, this is where some people get this notion that these were beings who were fallen angels. They had fallen from another dimension. They had fallen from grace, etc. But it literally means to descend, to come down from. Okay? And these were beings that they had come down from the original genetic purity of the Anunnaki and through this um, interbreeding process had become a hybrid and not a purebred, but had become a cross between Anunnaki and human. And hence, they were fallen from, or seen as fallen, from their original genetic purity by probably both the gods and the humans. And therefore, they were called demigods or giants, you know, because they weren't as large as the Anunnaki and nor were they as small as the humans. So, um, you know, the the whole point here is is it doesn't necessarily have to mean that these were supernatural entities or fallen angels. I understand people's interpretation of it as such, especially when they come from a purely biblical perspective, lacking the insight of some of these older texts. Um, but and hey, if that's somebody's uh, take of their nature, you know, fine, whatever. I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not here to debate the whole nature of what these beings are. The bottom line is there are enslavers and controllers. You want to be free? You have to stop following along with their agendas. Period. You have to understand natural law and live a moral life and stop cooperating with them and be prepared to physically defend yourself if necessary to defend your freedom and your rights. That's what it all ultimately comes down to regardless of who's controlling us or what their nature is. I don't care if their nature is another human being. I don't care if it's a, a, a flesh and blood being from elsewhere. I don't care if it's interdimensional or if it's demonic. It doesn't make a difference what their nature is. Their methodologies are the same and us waking up to that methodology works the same way and stop going, stopping going along with their agenda works the same way. So, you know, people can have their beliefs about what their nature is, and if that fits in with one religion or another, I personally could care less, all right? I'm trying to tell the general overarching story of what happened here so that we can understand our origins and what we're going to have to do to overcome this condition, all right? That's the most important part of it. So, um... My, that's my take on the Nephilim, and I think that these beings were left here. I do think that they did, did not leave with the original Anunnaki, okay? because this was another abomination, another thing that wasn't supposed to happen. And they're, they're, it would have been so frowned upon on their home world. They didn't even want it known that this had happened. These beings were not allowed to go back home with them. And again, that's another reason why they were called fallen because they couldn't go back up, they couldn't ascend off-world and go back with the original Anunnaki when, they, when the vast majority of them took off. And again, I don't want to say all of them left, because there's a very strong possibility that there were some of them that remained to oversee what was happening on this planet. And that was much later on, because there was other events that took place after this, which we're going to get to. So uh, let's just for now move on to slide number 46, and uh, we can get into some of those other details later. While interbreeding with the new slave species was forbidden by the mission plan, the Anunnaki used this interbreeding and the, the, the byproduct of these Nephilim or demigod beings to their advantage by placing these demigod offspring into positions of royalty and authority on earth. So they had set up some of these governmental structures and religion-like structures but now they can put these people in there as their middlemen because now they really didn't look like human beings. This would allow the system of covert control to work even more effectively because these beings looked more like the gods. They could take a step back, not have to control these beings directly they're setting up these systems of mind control and obedience and worship to these beings these demigod beings as gods okay and saying they're the inter- they're the divinely appointed intermediaries between the humans and the other gods okay and these beings essentially were just worshiped as gods as the 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 kings of of the earth the kings of their religion and their rule was unquestioned and unchallenged and that allowed them to put these beings to work to put all the humans to work as efficiently as possible for the Anunnaki farmers that were controlling the whole operation. We're going to pick up from there next week, folks, a whole lot more occulted material to come on the story of ancient human origins. That's all the time we have for this week. Remember, there's only two mistakes you could ever make on the path to truth, not starting and not going all the way. Thanks for listening. We'll see you right here next week. Bye.